Welcome, everybody. This is the Glass City Game Podcast. My name is Corey Crisson. This is episode number 49, and we are talking the return of Mid-American Conference football. It's awesome to see on November 4th, University of Toledo and Bowling Green State University renew the battle of I-75 rivalry, a six-game slate we get to look forward to. And joining me to talk about that, we have two guests today. First off, leading off will be Blade Sports writer Nick Petrovich. He covers Bowling Green and, of course, the Mac for the Blade. What's going on, Nick? How are you today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Glad to have you on again. And on the back half of the podcast, for about 10 minutes in the last 10 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Dr. Roger Cruz of the University of Toledo's athletic team. He is the chair of the medical advisory board that really got things going for the Mid-American Conference to come back and play football. So we're going to be joined on the back half of this podcast in an interview with Dr. Cruz to talk about exactly the procedures about getting back to play. But Nick's here with me to talk about football, which is awesome to do. We've talked high school football of previous weeks here on the show, but haven't talked a lot of college football. Obviously the Big Ten not starting for another 10 days here or so, but now we have Mid-American Conference football to look forward to. And Nick, you've been all over the return of the Mac, and that's an overplayed, overused cliche now, I feel, but it's also true. Bowling Green State University and University of Toledo opened the schedule November 4th, the day after Election Day, so a little bit of reprieve from that, obviously. And they start at the Glass Bowl, obviously, last year, Bowling Green breaking a nine-year skid over the University of Toledo. We're on our way here, six-game season, and... Now we get to kind of look into the storylines for each team. And you've obviously been to a bunch of Bowling Green practices and under new quarterback, Matt McDonald. And you had a story in Wednesday's edition of The Blade about Matt McDonald. And it's kind of finally his time. He got injured as a junior in high school, didn't really have much film out there, wasn't really highly recruited. And now after going to Boston College, sitting a little bit and transferring over to Bowling Green, he's now getting his chance. Let's just talk about that real quick. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting set of circumstances that led him here. So, I, as I told him, he just turned 22 last week, and at the same point of his life, I had like literally just started to do this job full time uh, at a different place. So I was like already a full time sports reporter, uh, and Matt has like waited this entire time to become a Division One quarterback that's actually starting for a team. He got Wally pipped in high school broke his wrist and his backup was a kid named JT Daniels, who was a five-star recruit, ended up going to USC and is now at Georgia. So he lost his job at modern day and had to transfer to Mission Viejo. He got one year there, but when you don't have junior tape as a quarterback, it's pretty tough. Um, ended up getting hooked up with BC, waited there for a couple of years, didn't think he was going to get his shot. Follow Scott Leffler to BG, um, tries to enter a waiver to become immediately eligible He's one of the guys that gets denied because the NCAA has no rhyme or reason for granting or not granting waivers. But in any case, it's another year to wait. And then on top of that, there's a pandemic. So the season has moved and it's not moved. But it looks as if finally, at last, um, he's going to get his chance to be a starter when Bowling Green opens the season. He's got nobody in his way on the depth chart. He's the only non-freshman quarterback. He's been in this offense for four years. Um, Typically teams that are really successful in the Mac are the guys that are the teams that get a handful of guys, particularly at quarterback um, for whatever reason that power five schools missed out on. And 
there's certainly some sentiment on the people that have seen him behind closed doors that he might be that type of guy. So BG three and nine last year, two and six in conference play. They finished second to last in the Mac East ahead of Akron, which let's be honest, you and I has had as many wins as Akron did last year, but Matt McDonald now at quarterback, kind of that fire under him. He hasn't played in a long time and he's getting his shot now, but this is a team that Scott Leffler has talked in length about it. Now under this next year where he's had a batch of recruits under his belt, he's getting some of some more of his players onto the roster and onto the field, and they're still a very young team. So they're a team that could grow together. Do you think they can up that win total from three from last year? What do you see as a projection for BG football this year? Three, yeah, three might be interesting just because there's only six games. You're playing half mm-hmm. the amount of games. But it's going to be interesting to see where they stack up to everyone else uh, because they were – pretty far away from the top of the Mac. They beat Akron. Uh, They did pull the upset against Toledo, but for the most part, every other game they played got out of hand uh, in the wrong direction. They're certainly going to be a little deeper, not a lot, but a little. Uh, They have now two full recruiting classes in, and they're going to expect some of the young kids to play. They pretty much don't have a choice at some positions where they just have to go with the kids. Um, There's going to be some bumps and bruises for sure, but Having seen them in practice and take that for what it's worth, they certainly look to be a more competent football team this year than they were last year. Just across the board, they they look a little better. And for what it's worth, Bowling Green went 0-6 on the road last year. They were 3-3 three and three at home. So they, they kind of took care of business at home when they needed to, and now you look at this shortened schedule, and it, it really takes a few weeks in football to figure out kind of the identity and see what, what's worked well and what hasn't, and for Bowling Green, you wrote about this in their first kind of batch of practices when they came back after everything, you know, was kind of set that the league was coming back to play. And Leffler talked about it himself, how last year there was really no rhythm. There was really no tune. There was really no beat that the team was going off of. But now there seems to be at least some kind of flow within practice. And right off the bat, that's a positive note to take into account. Yeah, he came in during last spring practice in the spring of 2019. There was a couple times when that guy just looked like a ghost at the state of practice because he was just, he knew it was going to be bad. They, he has said many times that, I mean, guys couldn't even line up, that they were nowhere close to the shape they needed to be in. Um, 18 months later, most of the kids on the roster know the offense uh, they've had a full year in the weight program. And then for the kids that got there, even for the ones in the summer, they've already, it, it isn't the typical freshman thing. They've been through, you know, all of the zoom meetings, all of the installs, all of these practices, a little bit of the weight program. And it's, it's a little bit more in, in every category in each one of those jars they had last year. So what does that lead in terms of wins and losses? I'd be lying to you if I said I had any idea. But certainly it seems like they have at least more of a foundation going into this season than they had last year. So the way the schedule works out for the MAC this year, the MAC East plays the MAC East plus one and vice versa. The MAC West plays the MAC West plus one. The lone crossover game for Bowling Green and Toledo is that matchup, the Battle of I-75 rivalry in week one. But looking at the MAC East this year, Nick, Miami, Ohio winning it last year at 6-2, and two, but three teams at 5-3 and three last year in Buffalo, Kent State, and Ohio. 
a lot of prognosticators seem to like Buffalo to come out on top of the Mac East. What say you on that? Buffalo is the commodity that I think I feel the best about. Just be, they have the best defense, and they have two. Their pass rush is the best in the league. They have two defensive ends that I think are going to play in the NFL. Jarrett Patterson, their running back, I think is one of the best guys in Group of Five football. Um, little questions at quarterback. Um, maybe not as good as some of the other the other teams, but they just seem to be top to bottom the one I feel the best about. Now that being said, there aren't a ton of margins. Uh, there are there's it's not a very big margin from the the top of the MAC East, say to like fourth place. I think any of those four teams could win, and Kent State in particular, no one was expecting anything from last year. They're probably returning the best quarterback. They they might you know be in the top three of point scoring again this year. They were significantly closer to winning that division than I think they were given credit for. Um, OU feels like they have everything but a quarterback and ended up getting Armani Rogers from UNLV. So that's, that's interesting. And then Matt Miami is the defending Mac champ that brings back almost everything. So each one of those teams has a case. And I think it's going to come down probably to the, the final week to decide, you know, who's actually going to Detroit from this side. Let's not forget that Kent state won their first bowl game ever last year. They won the Frisco Bowl over Utah State. So Kent State running a little bit of momentum from late last year. Obviously, we mentioned Miami and, and, and Buffalo looks really strong. So it's a it's fixing to be a really strong Mac East. And Bowling Green's still a developing young team, as we talked about. Uh, we'll see what kind of damage they can do. But Nick, looking at the Mac West, and particularly University of Toledo, Toledo, by standards, some would say a down year last year. Six and six, three and five in the conference. They finished three games off of Central Michigan, who won the conference six and two. Uh, Toledo missing out on a bowl game last year. Um, This is going to be a really interesting trying season for the Rockets. And right off the bat, the matchup is obvious. BGUT, Toledo right off the bat gets the chance to try to avenge that loss from last year. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's going to be a little weird because you jump right into this game. You don't have the, the game against the FCS team or you don't go to a power five team and get to see where you're at. I mean, you're jumping right into it. And, you know, last year things got off the rails for them at BG. Uh, they had an awful special teams day and just never really found a groove offensively. Now, it's, I think you saw it across the country where it looked ugly for just about everybody in some form or fashion in the first week. Teams started to figure out what they are and what they're supposed to look like in the third and fourth week. But, of course, that's the midway point of this year. And for Toledo, the thing you're talking about uh, this year that's going to make or break the year, and they know it, they clean house on the defensive side of the ball. So the defense is going to play a huge role in deciding what this team is going to be because they, they've recruited – as well or better than anyone in the MAC over the past 10 years. But in the past two, especially, the defense has just not been good enough to compete in the league. Yeah, of course, Toledo overhauling that defensive coaching staff. Uh, Vince Karras coming over from Mount Union, of course, was a very successful head coach for the Purple Raiders in D3. Um, so we'll see how Toledo's defensive unit can kind of step up this year. Last year, they were they were also a bad road team, one in five. They were five and one at home. So Kind of take that for what it's worth. Again, a, a six and six record last year, and, and we're used to seeing a little bit better from the Rockets. Nick, you've spent time at BG's practices, and with new protocols, obviously with COVID, and and trying to 
keep this as safe as possible and keep this as clean as possible of a return as we're about three weeks away from football. What's the sense you're getting from either players or coaches or staff about kind of what they're going through right now? What are some of the conversations you've had about that? Everybody seems to kind of be on board with it at this point because this is the path to play. It's either this or nothing. So I think everybody at this point is, is more than happy to do it. Most of the anecdotal research anyway has shown that um, kids aren't contracting from the actual playing of the game. They're, they're getting the virus from, you know, any other ways. So I don't think the, for the most part, the kids don't mind, you know, meeting with masks. They don't mind testing four times a week. The coaches don't mind because if you're going to play during this school year, that's what you're going to have to do. So for the most part, um, everybody seems to be all right doing this because they want to play a season. So if you're going to get the season off the ground. That's how you start. Yeah. That's kind of what uh, Dr. Cruz talked with me about. We, we recorded the uh, interview yesterday on uh, Tuesday as you and I speak. And one thing that he mentioned in pretty much length was that this was a willingness to get on board with something. And at the end of the day, the counter argument to canceling football or postponing, I should say, was you're going to take students out of an environment where things are a little bit more controlled. They're at practices from X AM to X PM. They are with a certain and a, and a restricted group of people. They are being tested frequently. And obviously the big factor in returning to football was testing in the ability to gain test and to test frequently. And now the Mid-American Conference is testing four times a week out of seven days. So now that these players are kind of back in this groove, and I think you're kind of hearing it from all, all different angles. The Mid-American Conference hasn't started quite yet, but we have seen slip-ups across the college football world. In your opinion, how do you think the college football world has done so far when it comes to dealing with the circumstances of playing during this pandemic? Uh, it, it varies on the place and on the school, because if you're not going to create a bubble, you're just going to have to embrace that it's going to happen. Um, and it's, I think, some, somewhere around 10% of the games have been, have been moved in some form or fashion. Now, the, the really interesting thing to me is that the MAC chose not to build in any sort of delay protection. They wanted the full training camp to help prevent against some of the soft tissue injuries that you see that you saw, you know, in other college teams and particularly that one weekend in the NFL when it felt like, you know, half a dozen, you know, major players in the league got hurt. Um, so they, they chose to go with six straight weeks as opposed to building at any sort of buy. So if they have any scenario where a game can't be played, they really don't have a recourse to playing it. What they're going to do in terms of tiebreakers, I'm not sure. I would guess winning percentage because that's probably the only equitable one. But if, if someone, you know, let's say there's a, a big game in the East, like Buffalo's playing Miami or something, and you think that, that might decide the East and that game gets called off, you know, I don't know what the next step is. And they don't have a week to make it up because it's six weeks, then the MAC championship game with no safeguards in between. Yeah, no buffer at all. The, the final week of the regular season is December 12th. And then Friday, December 18th, six days later, is the MAC championship in Detroit. So, like you said, no buffer there. And really, some people are saying that about the NFL, too. As far as we know, there's no confirmed buffer between the schedule with the regular season and the playoffs. We have seen 
uh, coronavirus cases with the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots and other teams. And what the NFL has done is they just kind of shifted bye weeks around. They can't necessarily do that with the Mac. Do you think the solution is going to be figured out on the fly? Do you think they're planning some contingencies? How do you think they actually deal with this should that happen? They're going to have to because I think to to assume that every, that all 12 teams are going to get from beginning to end without any sort of hiccup, I think the other teams in college football have just shown that's probably not realistic. It's been pretty much at every, every level. I mean, today Florida LSU is going to get uh, is going to get postponed. That's going to be one of the bigger games of the year. And, you know, for the Mac, I don't know. I don't know what exactly the next move is uh, because it's, they, they chose the one-off six-game season. Um, and then beyond that, who knows? I don't know what's going to be – what's going to come most of the bowl games. I don't know what they're going to do if not all teams play that round six games, how you compare them. Uh, it's It's certainly – unlike anything they've ever done, though I have to imagine, particularly for deciding a champion, you're going to have to have a system in place uh, by the time you actually kick off on the fourth. If I can offer any kind of, I don't want to say peace to fans here, but I'm just kind of thinking and looking at the map of Mid-American Conference schools as far as geography goes. It's not like they have to traverse across the Midwest or down south or out west for that matter. I mean, the farthest west you're going is basically Chicago. And the furthest east they have to go is Buffalo, New York. So that's about a span of not even four states, like like two states, Ohio and Indiana, and then a little bit slice of Pennsylvania, slice of New York, and a slice of Illinois. So it's not like travel's going to be massive and they don't have to go – like think of Nebraska going to play Rutgers, for example. I'm just using geography. So they don't have to travel to highly impacted coronavirus states, which I think is something that's – not really been discussed too much quite yet, but at the same time, it's obviously still an issue that has to be played with. So if there's any kind of solace and any kind of like, okay, maybe this can work. That's where I see it is that the geography isn't so widespread. And of course the, the division matchups are going to remain East versus East and West versus West minus one game. So that's a little bit encouraging to say the least on as far as the schedule and the travel is concerned. Have you talked to any players or coaches about travel? Do they seem concerned at all about that, if anything? Well, for Bowling Green's case, they literally do not leave the state of Ohio this year. So okay. I don't know that there, it is possible for any college football team to have a, a better travel than that. They had already previously eliminated the practice of uh, teams staying in hotels the night before home games. Typically, a team will go to the will get a hotel room and everybody will have a bed check the night before a game. The Mac did away with that mostly for financial purposes um, earlier this year. However, for almost everybody in the league and almost every game, you're taking bus trips. So mm-hmm. I, is, is that better or worse than being on an airplane? I'm not sure. But as far as what they would normally do to travel the road games, I don't know that anything's going to look terribly different than it would even in a normal year. Well, I don't think Toledo, or I don't think Bowling Green will have to fly to Toledo. That's one thing for certain. Um, just, a, just a short drive. Short drive, what is it, 20 miles? I don't have my metric stick out with me, so I'm not sure. But, um, but yeah, travel is going to be very limited, like you said, in some cases. And uh, I think that's another, another reason why I think this can work. And we've seen it. Again, the hiccups have been there. And there's a legitimate concern that there will be some. 
So we'll, it's interesting to see how the Mac is going to respond. You know, like you said, there's really no schedule buffer. Um, the, the testing is there, so contact tracing can happen relatively soon. So the, the Mac seems very confident with their plan to come back. And kind of the irony with everything is the Mac was the first conference to, to bang football for the year. Obviously, it's back now, but they, they were the first to kind of postpone everything. And they were one of the last to come back. And it seems like all of the protocols that the MAC has put in place as far as coronavirus is concerned, they're one of the strongest, if not the strongest in college football, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, testing four times a week is, is just about all you can ask for, particularly for, for schools that are pretty limited financially. I know the players were highly concerned, to say the least, uh, when they were going to break camp in August and saying, like, you know, they didn't feel that they were being protected. Um, depending on the school, however. But, you know, once that became available, all the players wanted us to make sure that they were tested, make sure it was safe to get out in the field. So once that was possible, um, then it was all systems go. Everybody wanted to come back. Uh, I don't know that – I don't have the exact particulars of, you know, is this going to be better than, say, you know, the Mountain West or whomever. But, yeah, it's, it certainly seems like they – they put quite a bit of stock into how and why you have to, to do this to get onto the field. That was, I know from the AD's meetings, uh, that was the thing they kept going back and forth about how many times, you know, who should the contract be with? Uh, what is the timing of the week? How do you do this? And they came up with a plan that you're, you can't ever get 12 Mac ADs to agree that today is Wednesday usually. So the fact that everyone got on board and felt pretty good about it should tell you something. Absolutely. And we're three weeks away from kickoff. So plenty of storylines still to develop when it comes to coronavirus related and non coronavirus related uh, news regarding the Mid-American Conference. And obviously here at the Blade around University of Toledo, we have Ashley Bastock on the beat there. Nick, you're on the beat with Bowling Green and both of you are very much on top of Mac News. So should anything happen right here at the Blade is where you want to look to for that information. Um, Nick, any final thought from you before we kind of get out of here for the week? No, not really. Just hoping it goes off um, as much of without a hitch as possible. I'd like to just see, you know, everybody. It's kind of there's so much of the season that has been that has been lost already, but it, nobody's gonna have to use a year of eligibility. Um, it seems like we're hopefully at least gonna get to crown a MAC champion at some point, and then hopefully get back to some semblance of normal next year what we can hope for baby steps you gotta walk before you can run here so looking forward to the season getting going nick thanks for the time this week we of course appreciate it and uh we'll talk to you soon as the uh start of the regular season and of course the renewal of the battle of i-75 gets closer All right, and now we're joined by Dr. Roger Cruz. He is the head team physician for the University of Toledo's football team, and he is the chair of the medical advisory group of the Mid-American Conference, and he played a major role in getting MAC football back. Dr. Cruz, thanks for taking time to join us this week, and obviously your role in helping the Mid-American Conference get back to action is very well documented Let's kind of go back to the meetings that you've had, obviously, with the conference and your role at the University of Toledo. What were some of the main points that were emphasized in order to get MAC football back on the map? 
Well, there's a, there's a lot of meetings, and the main thing we wanted to do is make sure the athletes were safe. Uh, and the and the reason that we were able to change our our our, our views on this was we had to finally get enough testing, and if we could test, we felt we could safely return the athletes. So out of all the things that happened, I'd say two things: one was the testing, and two was the fact that we found that kids and you know the athletes of the age we're talking about were very very seldom really badly affected with the COVID. So uh, I think those two things were the changing point, and definitely number one was the testing. So is it more about testing in general, or was it about the availability of getting the physical tests to all the schools? You know, yeah, it, it was availability. And, and when we when we went on hiatus, it was we, we couldn't get them. I mean, you know, uh, everybody said nobody could get the test they needed. The Big Ten couldn't get the test they needed. Uh, we couldn't get the test we needed to feel like we could safely let the uh, athletes play. Was there a concern about, there were some studies that were released about myocarditis and how there's some athletes that are developing heart issues if they contract COVID-19. Was there that legitimate concern over the heart issues? Oh, there's definitely a legitimate concern, and I think that's probably what shoved the Big Ten the way it went. Uh, one of the people in Indiana had a myocarditis from the COVID and, you know, it, it, it basically scared everybody, which it should have. Uh, and, but we found that that was very rare. Uh, we do test um, more for heart than we ever have with any other virus. Um, so it's part of our protocol too. The sicker the athlete gets, the more likely that is to happen. And uh, you know, luckily at Toledo, we haven't had a lot of what I would call uh, severe illness. We've had some, a lot of mild, a little bit of moderate, you know, but in you know, a wood, no severe. The conference announced in August that they were postponing the season. And then about a month later, a little bit over, everything kind of came together and the announcement was made that they were back. What exactly, aside from testing, what exactly changed within that month? Or was it just about testing? Well, it was mostly about testing. It was also about, um, you know, I think a lot more information came up uh, out about uh, the younger athlete and how they handled COVID. And I and I think, um, you know, it, it, it was just the fact that we thought we could finally get enough tests to return them safely. Now the plan's kind of in place. There's testing four days a week now. Kind of with what we know about COVID-19 and how it can affect a human and the complete unknown because there's severe cases and there's cases that are very mild or, you know, no symptom at all. As far as what we know about the virus itself, has anything changed drastically in the last month that kind of helped things circulate with the Mid-American Conference? Um, has anything cared? No, the virus is still there. You know, I, I you know, I think the cases, um, People, it just kind of continues to multiply. I think we're going to see a second wave. Uh, we just felt that, you know, we could probably keep it out our athletes as long as our athletes behave. We felt we could control the, the, you know, the around in the, in the, at the university, you know, in the uh, locker room. We could control that. But what the kids do after they got out of school, 
you know, of football was, was where most of the colleagues that got in trouble got in trouble. And so, I, you know, our senior, senior leadership has been very good. So it's kind of on these kids to behave. If you, if you go out, you know, you put the, the whole team at risk and you also put your, you know, uh, uh, season possibly at risk. Obviously, other conferences have already begun playing, and so has the NFL. And the NFL, obviously, there's been outbreaks with the Tennessee Titans. There's been, there's been a couple of cases on other teams. But by and large, in college football, when you look at the number of schools that are actually playing and the number of conferences that are actually playing, the number of cases relative to that seem pretty low, in my opinion. What's your opinion around how the procedures around COVID-19 have been handled throughout the rest of college football? Well, I, I think it depends what school you talk about. I, you know, uh, I've got a lot of friends in a lot of different schools, and everybody's handling it different. But I think in general, pretty good because I think the kids understand if mm-hmm. if they don't, you know, do what they're asked to do, social distance, you know, go straight home, uh, you know, not put themselves at risk. They realize that they could be the the person that 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 ends the thing. And I, I think most schools are very much aware on that and, and most, you know, we're very particular on what we tell the athletes and, you know, how we test them. What do you see as the future of testing and affordability of it? Because the conferences obviously have a deal with a certain company to, to gain testing, but, you know, some people in the general public may be looking at this like, okay, they have access to that and it's re- readily available, but do you feel like we are we are entering this phase of, maybe more affordable testing, maybe more accurate testing. What's the difference there between affordability and accuracy? Well, you know, the affordability of this is non-sustainable in sports right now. I mean, we, we, we just can't keep doing what we're doing. I mean, even the Big Ten is going to have or the, the, the Power Five conferences are going to have trouble paying for all this testing. Um, so, you know, uh, the tests have to get cheaper. They will. Uh, the vaccine has to come out. I think it will. Uh, but that even if, if you get the vaccine, a good vaccine only gives you a 60%, you know, antibody rate. So that's not the total answer. What we need is a, some treatment that is, you know, like Trump's treatment. But, you know, nobody, you know, they can't do that. That thing is, is so expensive. Um, so we need a, a, a cheaper, you know, treatment of this. And there's a lot of companies working on it. So I think it will come uh but it may be, you know, a, a year down the road. So I don't, you know, I don't, we're not close out of the woods in this at all. No, I, I completely agree with that. But some of the signs at least lately have been encouraging with the development of a vaccine. And that's a big thing for me too, personally, is treatment. Um, and I think that was a big point of emphasis at the beginning of this pandemic, where trying to keep hospitals clear, trying to treatment options available to as many people as possible that absolutely need it. But um, it's encouraging, certainly, to see that at least testing and contact tracing and all these protocols have been put in place. There's a lot of important issues we could go over, and, and certainly the big ones I think we hit home here. And uh, it's it's exciting to see Mid-American football back, and I'm sure you're excited to see it back, too. Yeah, we're very, very excited. You know, I ended up with a lot of meetings with the presidents of, of all the universities, and, we were, you know, they asked the right questions, you know. Uh, can we guarantee there's going to be no more COVID outbreaks? Absolutely not. Can we control it? Yes. Do we have to do the proper testing on the people that get sick? Yes. And I think if you set up a good protocol, which I think we have, you know, I think safe as it can be, you know, uh, probably safer than, you know, just a regular college student because they're in a more controlled setting. 
that's kind of the counter argument to all of the cancellations that did happen before is that, well, there's players that are going to be in locker rooms with a limited number of people. It's, it's the team atmosphere. They get to go to practice and they go home and they have regiments to keep up on. So was that a factor in kind of deciding to come back as well? Well, definitely. And I, you know, I, I you know, I think it's, uh, you know, you, you've got to put the onus on the athlete, uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we can only do so much, and you know, as you know, it's hard to control an 18 to 22 year old. So, I mean, mm-hmm. but I think I think they get it, and uh, you know, we've we've stressed it over and over at the University of Toledo, and um, you know, so far so good. But you know, you never know. Yeah, you you really do never know, and uh, we'll see how everything unfolds here. Even in the high school football scene around here, there were a few cases, there were a few slip ups, but by and large. I feel, in my opinion, at least, that it's worked out pretty well so far. But, um, Doctor, I want to thank you for taking time to join me again. And your insight is very much appreciated, and your work definitely and involvement with the conference is much appreciated as well. And like I said, we're excited to see Mac football come back. Thank you again for the few minutes here. You're welcome. I'm excited to see it come back, too. All right, thanks.